We are wanderers, explorers, travelers, roaming the earth field by field, moment by moment, seeking, searching, longing, desperately wanting those we encounter to know what we know, to experience what we've experienced. A life change so beautiful, a grace so sufficient, a mercy so unfathomable that we can't possibly keep it to ourselves. This is our mission. This is our purpose. To pursue the calling of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Will you answer that call? The call to wander? The call to search? The call to walk? The field? Well, if you really want to know someone, I would encourage you to watch what they do. Uh, we have some amazing people in this church. Our, uh, Rebecca was up here earlier from our elder team. We've, I've had a chance to interact with many of those families for a lot of years and have seen what they're really about. And I've seen some of them give up big-time promotions because it wasn't right for the season that their kids were in. I've seen them, uh, I've seen the way that they pray for their families and pray for their kids. I've seen them take long drives out of state, out of, the, out of the Midwest, simply to care for their kids in some way. And you would always assume, and you would always think that they'd say, I, I love my kids, my kids are the most important thing in my life, all these different things, but it's the decisions that are made over the years. It's the moments that you see them in over the years where you see what the most important thing is. It becomes pretty clear, hey, that's, that's not a perfect mama, but she loves her kids. That dude loves his kids. If you really want to know someone, you got to watch what they do. Former President Jimmy Carter has been in the news quite a bit the last few weeks. He entered hospice end-of-life care a couple weeks ago. And you can say what you want about his time as president, like that dreaded one-term thing, right? You can say what you want about his politics. You can say what you want about his understanding of certain biblical truths. There are some where I'd say he's 100% wrong. But if you simply look at his post-presidential years, if you listen to those who have spent significant time with him throughout the course of his life, you get a look at who he really is, what he's all about, and what really matters to him as an individual. If you really want to know someone, you watch what they do. And of course, this applies to Jesus as well. We, we started a series last week that we've called Old School Evangelism, taking a look at some, some things that are easily forgotten, things that we ignore from time to time. As we even go through our lives trying to pursue Jesus, there are things that we, that we kind of set aside and kind of look at, that's how they used to do it, right? This is how we do it now. But there are some things that I think that we need to recapture, and we need to recapture a passion for a group of people that we called last week. We called them them. Who's your them, right? Because we looked at the Great Commission, the mission of a local church, to go and make, this, make disciples and to teach them and to baptize them. He's like, who are, 
Who's them, right? It's all these people in our lives. If they, if they haven't experienced Jesus yet, they're in that them category, and we've been called to reach them. And, and if you weren't with us last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen either on the website or on, on Apple Podcasts and just, just find that because we threw out some pretty significant statistics that not only led to the start of this church, but should be the thing that drives us forward when it comes to reaching people far from Jesus. And what we, what we really wanted to uh, throw in there, too, is that it doesn't mean that we change or water down the gospel. It doesn't mean that we avoid teaching certain things that come through in scripture. And yet what it is about is having a heart for those who aren't here yet, a heart for those who don't believe yet. So important. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks, we're going to look at kind of this idea of the Great Commission from three different angles and three different stories, if you will. We're going to look at our story, our personal story, our personal testimony of what God has meant in our lives, who we were before, what he did for us, and who we are now. And that, that might mean you were living this crazy life out there and Jesus stepped in and saved you. Now you're different. It might mean you got saved at seven years old like I did. And, and maybe you weren't in jail when you were six and Jesus didn't rescue you out of the gutter as a child. And yet you know who you'd be without him. And there's been moments since then where God stepped in and said, I'm going to transform this in you. I'm going to change this in your life. And I'm going to reach people through all those different things. And we're going to talk about not only our story, but the story of our thems, right? How do we listen to their story? How can we be attentive to what they're going through and what God wants to do in their lives? But today, um, I want to talk about Jesus' story. Right, and we could talk about the cross and resurrection and all the stuff that we celebrated on Easter a couple weeks ago. But in particular, one element of his story uh, that I want to zero in on, because of course Jesus said a lot, right? We have an entire book full of things that God has given us, the word of God. And, and if you want to get real specific, you go to the Gospels and you look at other things through the letters of the New Testament. Words that guide us, words that transform us, words that like Peter described, he said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life, powerful Words, But when you combine what he said with what he did, it begins to show us, at least today, one significant element for how the Great Commission needs to look, how the Great Commission needs to be lived out. And for that, this morning, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and and we're going to look at a scenario that's paralleled in a couple of the other Gospels. Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to see what other people saw in Jesus based on what he did. So, but before we get there, Luke 7, a little bit of context. We're going to be at the end of Luke 7, but as that chapter unfolds, a guy named John the Baptist has sent some people with questions to Jesus. If you don't know John the Baptist, he's Jesus' cousin. Um, And John was one who was born and and very much uh, inspired and anointed by God to go out and preach and really prepare the way for Jesus. But he sent these messengers to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, John wants to know, are you really the one? Are you the Messiah that we're supposed to be waiting for? Or is someone else coming? And what you need to know is, just by asking the question, we know that John is in a rough spot. He's struggling, right? In fact, John is in prison. But John is someone who had already proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. He saw him walking towards him one time and said, that is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. He basically proclaimed the gospel upon seeing Jesus. He understood And he believed, but now he's saying, Jesus, how is this all going to play out? Am I going to live to see all of this fulfilled? Jesus, now that you're here on the scene, the one who was to come, what's my role in all this? And so Jesus sends the messengers back with a response that alludes to an Old Testament prophecy about what would happen when the Messiah came. And it puts special emphasis on what Jesus was doing, what Jesus would 
do. And he knew that John would understand the reference. And uh, as those messengers leave, Jesus reminds the people who are around him, his closest followers and others who were listening to his teaching, he reminds them of how John had been received throughout his life. He reminded them that John was ignored by people because he didn't look right or act right. He reminded them that he didn't fit the religious culture of the day, and yet he was the one that the Old Testament talked about, the one who would preach and prepare the way for Jesus' arrival, but the religious leaders and many of the people simply rejected that. And so this all leads to Jesus making a statement about the kind of world that John had come into, the kind of world that Jesus had now come into. And so we go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verse 31. It says, Jesus went on to say, he says, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? And he says, they're like children. Children sitting in the marketplace and they're calling out to each other, We played a pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. He says, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon. And the son of man, he's talking about himself now, he says, I came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, here is a friend of tax collectors and a friend of sinners. And so first he compares, especially these religious leaders, to children, which is extremely demeaning for these distinguished religious leaders. And he says, you're like kids who are trying to whine and cry, and you're going back and forth with an attitude trying to work the crowd. And they're saying, you know, why won't you dance for us? Why won't you ride our emotional roller coaster? And Jesus saying to these people, you are all about control. You want to control how and when people are happy. You want to control how and when people are sad. You pile on rules and you pile on rituals and you pile on standards for people to live up to. Rituals and rules and standards, by the way, that didn't come from God. And he says, you're trying to control and manipulate and abuse power. He says, you do it to the people and they're forced to play your game. You try to do it to John and he's refused to play your game. You're trying to do it to me, and I'm definitely not playing the game. And he says, if, if we do things one way, you complain about that. And if we do things the exact opposite way, you complain about that. And because it's not what you want, it's not something you control, you just don't like it. And he finishes with verse 35. He says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. I like the way the NLT version says it. It says, wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. In other words, by the fruit of a person's wisdom, by the actions born out of their wisdom, the values that they claim to have, you'll know what that person is all about. You'll know what they value. You'll know about the mission that they're pursuing with their life. What Jesus is doing, he's, he's trying to create a very stark contrast, a contrast between what they did and what they do and what he is doing and what he did. Because if you really want to know someone, you watch what they do. Now, we're coming to the thing I really want to hit you with this morning. But real quick before we go further, I need, to, I need you to walk out of here feeling some tension. Okay? So I'm asking you if, if at some point in the next 10 minutes or so you start to feel a little tension or you start to uh, feel some questions rising up in you, I'm asking you to embrace it. I'm asking you to lean into it right now. Because I want you to walk out of here feeling a little bit of tension, there's some things that I might normally say that I'm not going to say today. Some things that might be true, some caveats, maybe some qualifiers. Because I need to make sure that you walk out of here with a little bit of tension today. So you might walk out of here going, uh, yeah, but what about this scenario, Justin? And I might possibly agree with you, 
but I'm not saying it today. And you might be driving home going, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Justin, but when it comes to my kids, don't you think this or that? And I might possibly agree with you, but I'm not saying that today. I need you to feel the tension today. And so as we go back to verse 34 and we see how they describe Jesus as a friend of tax collectors and a friend of sinners, it's all based on what they see him do. And we see it in other places as well. In Luke 15, 1-2, it says, The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? In Luke 19, he's hanging out with Zacchaeus. A wee little man was he. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Matthew 9, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, these religious leaders again, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he spend this time with them? And here's what we see. If we were to study the Gospels, if we look at what Jesus did, even beyond the things that he said, what we see very clearly in Scripture is that Jesus hung out with sinners. Do you? We see very clearly in Scripture that Jesus was friends with sinners. Are you? And you say, well, yeah, of course, that's really all I have to choose from, right? But here's what you got to understand. Sinners means more than just the way we throw about sinners, right? Everyone is a sinner, right? Of course, but this goes even further because in this context, we're talking about people who were obviously sinners, we're not talking about respectable sins. If you were with us late last fall, we talked about respectable sins and how there are certain things that as church people we kind of push aside, right? Like that one's not so bad, right? No, no one really knows about that one. That one's not going to get anybody in trouble. That, that one's not breaking the law. I'm not going to lose my marriage over that one. My kids aren't going to lose respect for me because of that one. It's those respectables. I'm not talking about those, right? We're all, we're all sinners, right? We've all told a lie and you know, stuff like that that's not really that big of a deal. I'm talking about stuff where it's, they're clearly outside of the religious circles. We're talking about people that are so bad, a world full of sinners goes, oh yeah, those are the sinners. Jesus even gathered some of these individuals into his inner circle, people that no one else would have wanted, and he would go to parties where people were getting drunk. He would hang out where prostitutes were hanging out. Now compare Jesus and what he was doing and compare the Pharisees and what they were doing. The religious leaders put all their time into being acceptable, spending time with those who were acceptable and elevating those who were acceptable. But Jesus interacted with sinners. He invested in sinners. He built relationships with sinners. He spent quality time with sinners. And so for all the amazing words, all the truths that we can pull out of Scripture, words from Jesus at the same time, it's his actions that speak so loudly. We can watch what Jesus does and we know who he is. Is that picture mirrored in your life? See, this is where I'd normally say the things you want me to say. You want me to ease the tension a little bit because especially you really good church people who are here, you want me to kind of squash 
your fears and your nervousness a little bit, to send you home knowing your church is still safe and believes what you need it to believe and send you home feeling like I'm not asking you to do anything too risky, but not today. There's other days for that. There's plenty of stuff on the audio website for that. But today is simply this. Are people far from God the enemy? Or are they the mission of your life? A couple things that I think are really important if, if we need to live and experience the second half of that question. I think if you want to have impact, you have to have contact. If you want to have impact, you have to have contact. Asking myself, am I in a relationship with, am I interacting with people who are different from me? Am I in a relationship with people who would likely disagree with me on a lot of important topics? Probably most importantly, am I interacting with people who need Jesus? Now, in some ways, likely the answer would be yes, right? We talked about our thems last week, how if you find yourself in a staff meeting or on a Zoom call or in a, in a math class and you're surrounded by people that you wouldn't call us, those who are following Jesus, who would claim Christ, who are pursuing him, that's us. If it's, you're not surrounded by us, that's them, right? So there's a good chance that over the course of your week, you're, you're in contact with people who need Jesus, and, but maybe that needs to expand. And so if your answer is like, I'm not sure I do, because this one's a tough one for me, right? I live in church world, right? I, I go home to a family that loves Jesus, and I come to work uh, and work with people who love Jesus. Joe struggles sometimes, but we're working on him, right? But, <laughs> but for the most part, I, I could isolate myself in this bubble. So I, in some ways, you have to get creative. You have to get comfortable, right? It, uh, some of the ways, uh, you, some of you guys know I've told stories over the years. I officiate high school basketball games in the winter. Chance to interact with individuals and, and uh, have, that que- have that conversation about what do you do for a living? Okay, well, what do you do for a living? And sometimes I want to say, I work for a small nonprofit in Milan, Michigan, and we <laughs> try to make people's lives better. And, you know, like, what's the easiest way to get out of this conversation, right? And yet those are moments that I need to be in, that we all need to be in. And I'm, I'm trying to find that second environment, right? Because that ends in, in March. And then what's, what happens between March and November when that kicks up? I mean, what are the environments I can put myself in to make sure that I'm in relationship with, that I'm interacting with people who are different from me, who disagree with me, who need Jesus potentially? If you want to have impact, you have to have contact. Now, I want to go a little bit further than that. Because contact should be more than just going on good to see you you know at our house it's this one right i was like hey you know what's going on it's from a commercial it's really stupid but i want to challenge you because all of you are friendly you're all very friendly people right you nod at the gentleman passing you on the sidewalk you smile at the at the lady at the grocery store right you wave across the street see people driving through town right i want to challenge you don't just be friendly be a friend. Now that sounds simple, but it's bigger and more profound like that. Like, are you loving people well? Not just tolerating their presence, not just acknowledging their right to exist, right? Well, they are an image bearer, giant eye roll, right? <laughs> not just wishing for only the appropriate amount of pain in their lives, like they, just the amount of pain that's equal with their transgressions, right? 
Are you loving people well? And this is important. Jesus valued the way we love people more than he valued our religious exercises. He said, I desire mercy over sacrifice. And sacrifices were a big deal for them. And he said, if you're in a worship service, maybe preparing to offer a tithe, also a big deal in that culture. Big deal in our culture, right? And he said, if you realize in that moment that you have an issue with someone, go and make that right before you come back to what you were doing for God. Make it right, of course, at least as much as it depends on you. Are you loving people well? We're talking about real investment, real relationships. And certainly there's a place for those quick conversations, the quick little encouragements. Maybe, you know, the, the, some of the things that we'd, we'd put in the old school category, right? Some of the door-to-door stuff or, uh, or, or tracks, things like that, things that were huge when I was a little kid and maybe uh, we've gotten away from. But, but, and there's a place for all of those. But I'm talking about today real long-term involvement, long-term care in someone's life like any legit friendship. It's not about fixing them. Not about having all the answers. I'm talking about love and friendship. Am I spending quality time with people in hopes that over time they'll see and experience the grace of God in their lives? It's more than just being friendly. It's being a friend of sinners. One pastor put it this way. He said, So often we spend our time cursing the darkness and not enough time being the light. If you want to know what Jesus was all about, you have to watch what he did. He made people far from God the mission of his life. And while the leaders of his day were severely distracted by all their stuff and all the things that they thought was important, Jesus was different. He was a friend of sinners. He showed us what investing in the wrong people can really accomplish. That's what we've been called to do, to live his story. I put a couple books up last week. I want to put them up one more time this week, just in case you missed it last week. A couple books that have kind of been helping me as I digest this in my own life. The first one is called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. So take a picture of that or write down the title. As I said last week, there's a couple books by the same title that seem very similar. This is the one I read with the orange and black. Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. It's harder than it sounds, or maybe it's just as hard as it sounds. I don't know. And the other one is called The Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations. That's the other one that has, that one's a little bit more, kind of that really more linear, practical stuff, The Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations. And the other thing we did last week is we challenged you on your thems, right? Who are the people? Are there three people in your life? that God has kind of softened your heart towards people who need Jesus, people who are far from God. And we had uh, some perforated cards on the seats. There's some available on a high top table right next to the info table in the lobby. If you weren't here last week and you didn't get a chance to do that, we'd encourage you to do that. You take the top half, drop the bottom half in the black box, and we as a team are committed to praying for that. It was just such a um, really an honor and kind of a moving experience. I sat down Friday afternoon, the building was empty, and just kind of, man, just had a chance to say every name out loud, and I don't know these people, right? Maybe, I mean, the three people on my card I know, but I don't know who's writing these names. It's all just first names, and um, just 
knowing that God knows each one, right? And God cares about each one, and God wants to draw each one to himself. And so as you begin to pray for those three people, we're going to pray for those three people. Um, We're going to ask God to show up and do something crazy. We're going to ask God to love them the way he always has. We're going to ask God to give us opportunities to love them and share with them and encourage them. And along the way, let them see Jesus in us and then hear about Jesus from us. It's going to take courage. It's a little bit scary. It's awkward, right? And yet, it starts with looking the way Jesus looked, having a heart for people the way Jesus did, having not just quick little interactions, but having an investment, an actual friendship with people that are far from God. Let's pray. God, we ask uh, that you would continue to guide us in this. Guide me in this. God, bring people my way. Bring people each of our ways who need to hear and understand the truth about Jesus, the truth that he died on the cross and rose from the grave to cover our sin and to defeat death, and that, God, it doesn't just transform our souls for eternity, which is a really big deal, and yet, God, it transforms our lives, too. It can transform our marriages and our workplaces and our kids and our Just, God, it, it can touch every aspect of our lives. God, give us the courage to live it. Give us the courage to speak it. Help us to see where you're going and what you're up to, and maybe we can come along. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.